Have you ever had the opportunity to tell someone exactly what you think? I mean, really tell them what you think. And I, of course, realize the irony of opening with that line and not being able to tell you what I think. Tonight, as we endeavor through the book of Luke and we look at Luke's account as he gives us this orderly account that he gave to Theophilus, we finish up a three-part sort of mini-series in the series where Jesus has been spending plenty of time telling the Pharisees what he really thought. And, and it wasn't to insult them. They took, they took it that way. It wasn't to, to um, cause them to, to be angry, though it did make them angry. Uh, it was for a reason. He wanted to change them. He, he needed them to be better leaders than they were. He needed them to be better men than they were, better examples for his people. And so as we look at this, this study tonight, I want you to think about what, might, what it might be like if someone like Jesus, the only one like Jesus, were able to sit down with you and tell you exactly what he thought. We have a few instances like that in Scripture. Uh, once here, he, he did that on more than one occasion with the Pharisees. He also did that with the disciples. The book of Revelation has a very pointed segment where Jesus writes, ad- addresses letters to specific churches and tells them exactly what he thinks, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Our text tonight is, as we continue in this series on the life with Luke, uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 11, verses 37 and following. If you're following along in your Bible, you uh, hopefully realize we've been there for the past couple of Sundays. If you're a guest or you have missed those lessons, then you'll want to go to Luke chapter 11, verse 37 and following. This will be the last series on this, and we've sort of been looking deep at it. I, I, don't, I mean, this is not that long of a section of Scripture, but for some reason I just kind of, from a preacher perspective just went off the deep end. I just got so into the study and so into the application of it. I thought this this is really more than one sermon and uh, it just became a whole series within a series. When something stirs up Jesus's ire, when more precisely when someone stirs up Jesus's ire, when he has an, an admonishment for them, uh, we would do well to pay attention to that. So, uh, this is the text we're going to be in, Luke eleven thirty-seven through 52, and let me give you a brief review of where we've been, just so to make you familiar if you've missed these lessons. Uh, he's making his way toward Jerusalem, he's doing a lot of teaching now, he's getting ready to, um, he's done some teaching at Bethany, he finds himself as a dinner guest of Pharisees, and he begins uh, using the table as a classroom begins using this, this dinner setting uh, to teach and to give them um, some soul food, some soul sustenance. And Jesus shoots pretty straight from the hip. Um, maybe you've had that experience where you've had someone over to dinner, and you have them into your home, and they're sharing with you, maybe from their heart, a little more than they might do in a formal setting. But, but, but when they're in their home, uh, they're... I don't know, the guard seems to drop a little bit. Jesus is using this opportunity to really sort of 
try to direct them and redirect them. So we've seen six things that Jesus addresses. We'll go through those quickly. First is majoring in minors. Uh, this is something the Pharisees fixated on. It was as they were fixated on the washing of hands. That was a, a very important tradition to them, and it bothered them a great deal that Jesus did not abide by their traditions. Jesus was not terribly concerned about their traditions as much as he was God's word and God's teaching. And, and there were times when those two came into conflict. Um, but even more than just the uh, washing of hands, they were ignoring the inside of the cup. They were, they were tending all the way to the outside of the cup, which, I mean, that's normal to do because human beings pay attention to the outside of the cup. That's natural. But <clears throat> they paid way more attention to the complete neglect of their inner spiritual life. And that is always dangerous, whether you're a leader or a follower of Christ. If you're a leader in the kingdom or you're just following uh, Jesus is very clear. He wants us to pay attention to the inside more than the outside, uh, but especially the inside, uh, making sure that we're tending to our heart and our thought life. The second is the problem, that, that, that the thing that made Jesus angry at the Pharisees was that they pursued the praise of people. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the most important seats in the synagogue and the greetings, the respectful greetings in the marketplace. Living for the praise of people is always going to cause problems because then you uh, live to please the crowd, and it will undo you spiritually. Now, uh, not everyone you know, has the, the opportunity where you're teaching from a platform and you're teaching a crowd week in, week out. So where that applies to us is, you know, you have coworkers and friends and family members and, and uh, people that are, you're connected to on social media, and the temptation is to always say what pleases them, to do what pleases the crowd, to live for, for the most likes and the most retweets and shares and all of that. And, uh, and even in our personal life, we can learn to say things that we know will be pleasing to someone else instead of primarily seeking the praise of God. And that's what we need to be after. It's not wrong for people to praise you, but just don't become obsessed with it. People praise Jesus. This time in his ministry is a time when there were lots of people that loved Jesus. Jesus just knew that the praise of people is not lasting. Uh, he sought the praise of God always first and foremost, and he wanted us and them to as well. Number three, Disguising your decay. You're like unmarked graves, Jesus said. In other words, you're spiritually dead, and, and you're not even aware of it yourself, and you're causing a stumbling block. You're causing to, yourself to defile those people who follow you and who try to do religion like you try to do it. Jesus called out their spiritually uh, dead lives, and he said, hey, it's, it's no different than there was a body just decaying and rotting underground it was unmarked. It would defile a person, whether or not they understood that it was defiling them. Uh, Jesus, is, Jesus desires to transform us from dead men walking into people who are living resurrection lives. And we would do well to recognize that sin deadens us to God. And we need to, the only way to become alive, the only way to, to have resurrection is through Jesus the Christ. Number four, 
leading without lifting. You load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help. Jesus had no patience for leaders who would not do themselves what they were asking of others to do. And that's important for those in leadership. It's important for you yourself. If you're going to ask people to follow you, the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Well, okay, you better make sure that the, the example that you're setting is the right example for them and that you are not walking out of step with what your teaching might be. Good leaders, then, are good followers. They are people who know how to follow the good shepherd closely. So tonight we enter into number five and six. And the first, uh, the fifth thing that made Jesus angry starts in verse 47. And I call it repeating without repenting. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. And so you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of, their, of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you. Looking at the cultural understanding of building tombs for the prophets, they did. They had a whole... uh, ceremony and and uh, process for going through honoring these dead prophets and the irony is Jesus would see these as dead spiritually dead leaders honoring prophets whom their ancestors and forefathers killed why would they honor them well pretty simple they had forgot history and they had lost track of of why those prophets were stoned and martyred Oftentimes, it just boiled down to one simple thing. What the prophets were saying was not things that they wanted to hear. And so, those who speak the truth uh, sometimes bear the burden of speaking the truth. Um, I want to open to Mark chapter 12 to give some insight into this text uh, about building and honoring the dead prophets and the history that they are quick to forget. Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Jesus tells a story that is often called the parable of the tenants. And this is what Mark writes. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the wine press, and built a tower and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season came... He sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him, and they beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed, and he still sent another, a beloved son. Finally he sent to them, saying, they will respect my son. 
But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to the others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. In the history of God's people, we are prone to forget. It was mentioned this morning, uh, the the necessity for having uh, emblems to remind us of what God has done. It's easy when we do things week in and week out, and we get on autopilot and we forget why we do them. That happens in in positive ways, but it also happens in negative ways. We forget the things we've done. We forget the sin that we have done against God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees with whom Jesus was eating dinner would soon repeat the very same mistake. They would fulfill the prophecy, the parable of Mark 12. They would kill the son. And they would say, oh, we honor the prophets. We, 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 we build wonderful tombs for them. We have great ceremonies for them. We honor their memory, but they didn't honor or their ancestors didn't honor them while they were alive. And how do you honor a prophet? The best way to honor a prophet is not to tell the prophet you're a great guy or tell the prophet he, he delivered a good message The best way to honor a prophet is to yield to the message, to hear the message. I remember Steve saying years ago that you kind of, you know, you get used to people saying different things after a sermon. And he said, there are some things I best always sort of expect. A lot of people will say, good job and well done and all of that. And he said, and I appreciate their heart. It doesn't mean that I don't appreciate it, but I just... You sort of expect that because people want to be courteous and, and all of that. But The best compliment that you can give a preacher, according to Steve, was when someone would say, I heard your sermon and it made me change this. And they described something they changed in their life. That was the deepest kind of compliment. And he took that because what was happening was he was watching transformation from the word. Now, in the same way, the best way to honor prophets was to repent if they were calling you to repent. To turn away from idols, they're calling you to turn away. I was reading daily Bible reading, um, I believe um, Ezekiel. And the Israelites have gone and they have, they, there's this very small remnant. Most of, the, most of it's been destroyed by the Babylonians and, 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 Ezekiel prophesies to them, don't go to Egypt. Don't, 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 go, don't go to Egypt and, and worship those foreign gods, which is what they wanted to do. Instead, go to, to Babylon. Go there, and, and I'll make things work out. And so, did they listen to the prophet? They didn't. Okay? They simply disobeyed. They heard what he said, but they didn't heed what he said. 
Well, the same is true with many of the prophets, and uh, it's going to be true with Jesus as well. And people will very quickly forget that they did not heed. They might have heard, but they did not heed. The problem, then, in, a, in, in our application of it, the problem is not the making of mistakes. And, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to, use the word mistake and say, you know, lessen the, the, the depth in the heart of sin. What I mean here is we're all going to fall short and miss the mark. That's just part of being human. But what, what happens when we want to grow wiser as we journey with God, as we get closer to God, we're going to make mistakes. That's not the issue. The issue is not the making of mistakes. The issue is the repeating of mistakes without repenting and learning the lesson. We're all going to make mistakes um, that, sadly, the Pharisees and Sadducees would not learn from those mistakes that they had watched their fathers and their fathers' fathers make. We can get drawn into the same cycle if we're not careful. I use the word cycle. Um, maybe you've, I don't know if you've uh, read the book uh, by uh, Dr. Emerson Egrett's, uh, His Needs, is it His Needs, Her Needs? I'm going to mess it up. But anyway, he, this guy wrote a book, <laughs> and he describes, and he uses the scripture from Ephesians 5.33, which says, each of you must love his wife, each of you husbands must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so his basic premise of the book is that men need respect, and women need love. And so when you have an upward spiral is when, the wife respects her husband. She gives him what he needs. And the husband loves and shows love to his wife. And the more he shows love to his wife, the more she res- shows him respect. And so it builds on each other. You guys understand the concept of compounding interest, right? The, 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 it just snowballs over time. And so you get marriages that go 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 years and, and they love each other, and they, you know, sometimes they wear matching outfits, and they, and they're, they're, uh, they enjoy each other's company. How does that happen? Principally, Ephesians 5.33. Okay, well, Emerson also says there's a reverse of that. It's called the crazy cycle. Okay, it's the unwinding of the process, right? She treats him without respect, and so she then acts in an uh, she treats him without respect, and so he then reacts in an unloving way. And so they're do- now doing a downward spiral. He acts in a more unloving way, and she continues to act in a more disrespectful way. And neither of them are getting what they want, and this relationship with these two people is going round and round what he calls the crazy cycle. To me, that's an example of repeating without repenting. If you have a marriage, it's rocky, and you're not applying Ephesians 5.33, you're, you're, you're repeating the same mistake without repenting and learning from the mistake. All right, so there's, there's a crazy cycle within God's chosen people as well. Uh, this is often highlighted when you study the book of Judges, and you, you go, okay, well, they, they, they went into sin, and then they suffered in some way, and God causes people to you know, be persecuted, or they were driven out, or they put in slavery, and then they called out to God, and they said, oh, we're sorry, we never should have done that, and, and they repent, and ash, uh, dust and ashes, and sackcloth, and 
the whole bit, and God delivers them, and then, then everything's good for a time, and then all of a sudden they fall into sin, and they want to be like all the other nations, and it just keeps repeating again and again and again and again. And we can pick on the Israelites, that's easy to do, because, you know, they're not really here, we just pick on them from the pages of the book, and that's awful convenient for us. But what I'm saying is, what Jesus is saying is, we have to be careful. We have to be careful of potentially doing the same thing. Repeating our mistakes without repenting. Not learning the lesson that we were supposed to learn. So, avoid the crazy cycle. How do you do that? Well, you learn and you grow wiser. When you make a mistake, you acknowledge, hey, I messed up there. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Or I, maybe I did mean to do that. It was, it was a, I shouldn't have done that. The sin, you acknowledge that before God. God, I acknowledge this sin before you. I know that it's sin. I know that you told me it's wrong. I repent of that. I don't want to do that anymore. And I'm going to change. Okay? That's, that's acknowledging sin as sin and then saying, I want, to, I want to leave that. When we do that, we avoid not just sin and the consequences thereof, but we avoid getting stuck in the crazy cycle. So if your spiritual life is in a downward spiral, this is the lesson you need to learn, and that is don't repeat the same mistakes without learning from them and repenting from them. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 tells us this. Everything, whatever was written in the past, was written in the former days, was written for our instructions that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. There's sometimes, especially as I read through the Old Testament, I'm like, man, this is a lot of detail. I'm not sure I need to, why do I need to know, God, why do I need to know this? Romans 15.4 reminds us that stuff was written down in the same way that we come here to celebrate and to acknowledge and to remember why we're here and the commonality in Christ that we all have and the great price that was paid for all of us. And we're, you know, someone who will lead the talk will maybe read a scripture and remind us of what Jesus did for us. In the same way, we need to, as we are in our spiritual lives, make sure that we are learning from the stories where God has worked in the past. So don't look at the Pharisees and Sadducees and say, ah, man, those guys, they never got it right. That's easy to judge them. But how will future generations judge you? How will your great-great-grandchildren judge you based on your actions and your behaviors? What will be the, what will be the conversations about how you sought God or did not seek God, or lived with integrity instead of hypocrisy. That's what I'm trying to get us to think, is that we may learn the lessons from the past and grow wiser, and when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we fall short, to acknowledge them, repent, and leave the crazy cycle. Reading the Bible, this is one of the powerful things about reading the Bible. It allows you to learn from other people's mistakes. Do not fear making mistakes, by the way. Making mistakes is part, I call it failing forward. Okay? I think one of the most dangerous things is getting into the mindset where you can't make mistakes. That's, that's unhealthy. Um, do not fear making mistakes. Fear, uh, that's going to happen. Fear repeating mistakes. Okay? You do something and you mess up and you go, okay, now you learn the lesson, then you grow wiser. So, repeating Without repenting means you are not learning. The last thing that angers Jesus, back to Luke chapter 11, is verse 52. Woe to you lawyers, 
For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. In my study, I'm thinking about what Jesus meant by the key of knowledge. And I try often to look at Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture. My closest interpretation of the key of knowledge is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Where the wise man, if you care to turn there to the middle of your Bible, the beginning of the book of much wisdom, he says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Some translations say it's the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. I don't have to, to convince a Sunday night crowd of the efficacy and the power of God's word. Sunday night crowd knows scriptures like Isaiah 55, 1 and 10. Or, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish what I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We understand that reading God's word allows God's will to happen. You ever, you ever read the Bible and you, you just get sort of blown away by something that maybe you've read several times? That's the power of God's word. Or you, you, you read a passage you've, you've read many times before and all of a sudden something jumps out that's never jumped out to you before. That's the power of God's word. It's a unique book unlike any other If you are not reading it regularly, you're missing out on a wonderful opportunity for God to to work. Just like the water comes down from heaven and works, and it produces many good things. We know Psalm chapter 1. The, I'm not going to say the most famous psalm, but one of the psalms where it's, it's most well-known where a picture is drawn for us of those who follow the word of God. Blessed is the man who, is, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a, a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he Prosperous. We move to the Old Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, compares the Word of God It's living and active, like a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We, you and I, are very blessed to read this book, to study it, and to live by it. That's why we offer people every Sunday to take one of the few Bibles. And we do that because we are in hopes that we might read from this powerful, life-changing, eternity-changing book. One of the most discouraging sights that I see every week is out in the foyer. A stack of Bibles um, that grows and, and grows and grows throughout the year. and Bob will track people down that belongs to them, but... They see those Bibles up there, and I know they're not going in here. And maybe they have extra Bibles at home. Maybe those are guest Bibles. I get it. I understand. But you get my point. The Bible is so readily available to us. 
that often we take for granted its value to us, its meaning, its purpose, its a, you know, wh- what it can do. But, but let me back up because, because for a Sunday night crowd, this is not a hard point to make. So let me, let me go one step deeper and ask you this. Why do you, why do you, why do you, why do you study and read the Word of God? Do you do it to check off a list? We have a literal list. It's the Bible reading plan. It's Northside's Bible reading plan. Go through every day, highlight that, so it's checked off. So we get to this point in the year, and it's, it's getting pretty full of check marks and highlight. And, we're, we're, and I realize that we're, we've got to take it in small chunks, but there's a danger in just reading your Bible in the same way that it's, it's, it's a habit, but it's a habit in the same way that you brush your teeth is a habit. There's not a lot of thought put into it. I, I do that twice a day. You know, I just do it. I, I'm on autopilot. I don't, I'm just doing it. I'm just checking off a list, and I'm making a habit. For, for, for a Sunday morning crowd, this would not be the point I'm making, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm stepping down a little deep. I'm asking you to ask yourself why you do it. Do you do it to, to get through a book? Maybe, maybe I have personally the uh, Effligard Smith edited um, chronological Bible. I give that to all new Christians. Okay. My goal is to get through the Bible at least once every year. I've done that many times. And, and sometimes I do it in my task-oriented nature to get through the book. Sometimes I find myself scanning and skimming, confession time, especially some parts of the Old Testament, okay, where I get a lot of details that, I, yeah, okay, thank you, I, but I don't, okay, why did I do that? Do you read or study to prepare for a class or some of us teachers, maybe a kid's class or an adult class, or you're asked to do a devo, or, or maybe you preach every now and again? Do you, do you read God's Word so that you can do something for other people? All of those things are task-oriented. And there's nothing, I mean, we have task-oriented people. But Pharisees were task-oriented. I want to challenge you to read the Bible not for a task to be done, but for a person to be pursued. To understand... Yes, the book, the story, the details, the prophets. Okay. But what you're trying to do when you're reading the book is to get to know the author. To understand the heart of the author. What he is trying to communicate to you. What's, what's the point of the story? What, what's the, what's the, from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, what is the story about? What is God trying to convey? that was written through all of these centuries by these many different authors. May we seek the word to know the author better. John chapter 5, turn there. I'm not even going to give you the option. Turn there right now. So help me. John 5, 39 and following. Again. He's kind of shooting straight from the hip. 
John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That's convicting. May we read the Bible this week and the weeks to follow, not to check off a list, not to get through a book, not to prepare, but to know our Father and to understand from His heart to ours. And that we might submit to His will and yield to Him out of our trust in Him. The more we do that, the more we read in pursuit of our Father, I think the more the book begins to open up to us and to begin to change us. How I apply this, or I'm trying to apply it, is in my morning routine, my quiet time with God, I only take a Bible. I don't take a pen. I don't take any extra pieces of paper. My phone is not nearby because it is just time for God to speak to Toby. I am not seeking God for a task or a purpose. I'm seeking God because he has sought me. So may we have may we may, may we take that challenge of seeking the word not for a task but for a person. There are many things that made Jesus angry, majoring in minors, pursuing the praise of people, disguising your dirt, leading without lifting, repeating without repenting, and studying the book instead of seeking the author. May we, we probably all hit some of those at some point, but may we instead be concerned primarily with what matters to God and ignore what matters to people. That's going to be very important, by the way, just so you know. I know I I can't do a sermon without coming down here. You've got to know, okay, you've got to know that being pleasing to God is going to come up more in your generation than in any other previous generation. It's coming. It's going to get pretty bad. And, and I want you to stand firmly, regardless of what the politics say, regardless of what the culture says, I want you to stand side by side with God. I want you to stand on His word. I want you to stand on his promises. I want you to seek to please your father. And, and, and I know you're going to, friends and, and, and family and all of that, guys, you will never do better than to seek first and foremost the praise of Almighty God. That is what matters above all things. And that's not just a mini-sermon to you, okay? That's for all of us. We've got to stay true to being pleasing to our Father. May we seek to hear well done from God alone. We, we like to hear people say, good job, well done. But, but that doesn't matter if God doesn't say to us, well done. May we take our sin seriously, whatever it is. May we take it seriously enough that we're willing to repent of it and change and leave it and not pursue it any longer. May we do that which we ask others to do as in our walk with Jesus. May we repent repeatedly. May we learn from our mistakes and grow wiser as we seek the true key to knowledge, which is God himself. And may we seek him, may we seek him alone as we study his word.
All right. Well, such ends the mini-series, but I will not end the message without giving you an opportunity to seek not just the Father. The only way, by the way, that you can seek the Father is through the Son. Jesus said there's no other way to the Father except to the Son. If you are not in Christ and you don't know Christ, wonderful time to begin that journey would be tonight. We'll take your confession. We'll ask you if you believe in Jesus. We'll baptize you into Christ. My guess is that most of my audience here tonight has done that step. Maybe you need to repent of something. Maybe you've been pursuing the word more than you've been pursuing the author. Maybe you've not been pursuing the word at all. Maybe it's been a long time since you've just sat and sought your father. And if you need to repent, if you need to seek him out, if we can pray with you or for you in any way to encourage you and help you on your walk with Christ, please meet me down front and we'll help you in any way we can. As together, we stand and sing.